Welcome to the Destiny Leaders Podcast, where we are dedicated to developing the leader in you. Welcome, everyone, to the Destiny Leaders Podcast. I'm Phil Brassfield, I'll be your host today. And we have an exciting program for you. You're going to love it. Uh, you're going to love every part of the, the, the topic that we talk about and also our friend that's joining us, Doug Garasic. And uh, But I'm joined by Jared Moss, uh, as always, our millennial point of view. He's the guy that brings all things millennial and kind of counterbalance the gray hair I have in my head. <laughs> uh, Jared, delighted to have you in the studio today. Always happy to be here. And uh, we're excited about the program. Uh, we've been in the series of connect events scattered around the country, and they've gone really, really well. Hundreds of leaders have come and have been blessed and, and built up through the Destiny Network. And uh, in Akron, Ohio, recently, I met uh, Pastor Doug and was so taken with uh, just the command he had of the subject we were talking about and his spirit was excellent. It was a Daniel moment. I'm mean, just such wisdom and an excellent spirit. And as I got a little more acquainted with him, I thought we have to introduce you to our audience. And so today we're joined by Pastor Doug Garasic from Youngstown, Ohio. He pastors Rust City Church and is just blowing it up, up there. And Pastor Doug, thanks for joining us today. Oh, Dr. Phil, it's an honor of mine to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you and we want to get better acquainted with you. So why don't you take a second and tell us a little bit about your background and how you wound up in Youngstown. And uh, I take it from Rust City Church that there's something that, that is uh, significant about yes. that, uh, you know, for Youngstown. So tell us a little bit about you, your family and your church. Right. So I'm homegrown Youngstown boy. Okay. And um, Youngstown's a tough steel city that when the economy left, it left Youngstown behind. And so it was known as one of the steel capitals of the world, and then it became a rust city. And it felt abandoned, it felt neglected, a uh, lot of very upset baby boomers, uh, very frustrated, but yet the, the remnant or the kids of that next generation took this reverse pride in the fact that our city is really tough. Uh, it, it actually was an interesting fun fact about Youngstown. Per capita, it has produced the most gold glove boxers in the world. Wow. <laughs> it's an interesting fact. We're a city full of fighters. And we just, we just love our city. We have this strong pride in something that most people would look at and think, ooh, that's a rough place to live. And my wife and I are both from this place, my wife Stephanie and I. And um, when we came home, we had this feeling. We looked up what the Rust Belt entailed through the Midwest. And the geographical center of the Rust Belt was Youngstown. Wow. Literally the heart of the Rust Belt from Minnesota down to West Virginia was right here. Wow. And we thought, wouldn't it be God to take something that has been decayed, rusted out and forgotten, and in many ways revive the rust? Wouldn't that be God? Praise God. That's and, yeah, such a great, and you've done that. We've seen the Lord do that through this ministry, you guys have, tell us about the church and how yeah. you planted and how, how long have you been there? and. Yep. So 2011, my wife and I left um, a very predominant, large uh, megachurch ministry about three hours away. We were youth pastors, and we just felt like God said, go home. Uh, when we were praying about it, I remember when God spoke to me, I was 26 years old, and I felt like God said, I want you to go home and plant this church. And I remember in my prayer time, I said, Lord, there has to be more qualified people than me to go do this. 
And I was expecting God to really wrap his arms around me and build me up. But the response I felt he said back to me was, there is, there are more qualified people than you, but yeah. you said, yes, you, you're willing to do it when no one else is willing to do it. Because in my community, just so you understand some context, there has not been a church plant that survived more than a year in the last 10 years. Mm. My goodness. So they just close. There's people come here and try and they just roll up. It's a tough city. And um, my wife and I humbly came home. We didn't take anybody from that church. I was very important to me that if this is God, he's going to build it. Wow. So we moved home, basically parachute planted. Didn't know about ARC. Didn't know about any other resources. Didn't know about the church plant model. We just knew God spoke to us to come do this. And so I got on my phone and I text messaged about 30 people that I knew in the area from growing up. Most of them weren't saved because I didn't grow up in church. And I said, I'm going to start this new thing. It's going to look like a church. I want to do something that this area has never gotten before. If you want to come meet me at this place on Saturday night at 6 p.m., a friend of mine's office building. 14 people showed up and I just said, listen, let's, let's change the city. Let's, let's dream for a new possible. And um, I've noticed on your website. Yeah. Dream for a new possible. Yeah. And so next thing you know, we, um, we launched in an office building. Uh, it took about a year to get about 80, 90 people, mostly young adults. And then we had a dream to launch into the largest regional mall where they had a vacant store. And it was crazy. We, I mean, 90 young adults, as, as we can contest, are not going to be the financial engine that you need to launch a large church. Uh, yes. <laughs> They're like, listen, pastor, I can give you a lot of likes on Facebook and Instagram, but I don't have any money, you know? So, <laughs> um, so we just believe God. Miracle, I mean, like miracle kind of things, raised about a half a million dollars in five months um, through different wow. business leaders, people that were just like, we believe in this, we need this for our community, that didn't even go to our church. And we were able to move into the largest mall, and in one weekend, we went from 100 to 500. Come on. And, and then I, I was expecting it to decline and it just kept growing. And we very quickly launched another location. We bought a bar in the downtown district and turned it into a church. And so it was a bar where somebody got murdered at and they shut it down for the murder and we bought it. And the front page of the paper said, church buys closed bar. And then they quoted me by saying, uh, we want to see a place known for death become a place known for life. That's so and, cool. My goodness. Are you it just exploded, man. <laughs> it just exploded. And, um, and then we opened up another location in Pennsylvania, which we're right on the border of Pennsylvania, at another mall. And then just recently, we opened our fourth location, um, the first of its kind. We launched a campus on the university campus of Youngstown State University. So Dude. we were the first ever allowed to launch a church on the campus of a secular, pretty liberal college and we just opened that up about a month ago and it has blown my mind how many young adults are coming to it blown my mind yeah wow man so many questions popping <laughs> into my mind because that's you just blasted through an awful lot of happenings i move quick <laughs> i'm like put your seatbelt on man we're gonna fly through this stuff that's awesome honestly and, and you know i know there are a lot of questions that you probably too jared had you know just thinking through it's like okay uh 
you know, the, the church mall thing, that's a whole com that's a whole podcast right there. You yeah. know, because that's not exactly where most church planters are thinking, okay, we're going to go find uh, a mall where there's an empty store and start our church there. And, and so if I could, if I could sell them on that, here's why I like it. It's a landmark location for people to know where your church is. Yes. So we were, we we're a brand new church, right? And people said, come to the church, come to Rust City. And they'd say, where is it? And all they had to say was the mall. Yeah, that's, and, that's cool. And then they said, well, by what? And then you can explain it a little bit more in depth. We are able to say, we're right across from Target. And they're like, oh, oh, I saw construction over there. You know, and then it's easy. Um, the amount of traffic we receive is phenomenal. And I'll say some other things. You can get into a lease with a mall that they're going to take care of your parking lot, your roof. They're going to take care of some of those major expenses. And... If you befriend the mall, like one of the sweet spots for us is befriending the mall ownership and management and serving them as our mission field. So a few examples, we produce two large events a year at their mall inside the mall itself that generate over 5,000 people to the mall on those days. Wow. Eggs in the mall. It's bananas. Yeah. Um, things of that nature. Also, Black Friday has become, it's obviously when you think of a mall, you probably think of Black Friday, like shopping. Absolutely. Sure. So here's what we decided. What if we could bless the mall employees that have to give up their Thanksgiving? Mm. They all live locally. And what if we could bless them with Black Friday survival kits waiting for them in their back room, all well-designed with things like Starbucks frappuccinos, mints, espresso bean coffee stuff, and a little note saying, we've prayed for you as you've had to serve our community. If we can ever serve you, let us know. Fantastic. Come on. Now, I didn't realize 2,000 people work at the mall on Black Friday. Yeah. So we had to raise some money quick because those jokers cost five bucks a, a bag. And if you just do your math, you're going, that wasn't in the budget, you know? And so. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But here's what was amazing. Here's what the favor kicked in. Not only did the mall management say, we love you guys. Whatever you need, let us know. So we borrowed, we borrowed tables and chairs and things from them all the time as part of some big events we do. Not only that, every store manager becomes your ally. Yeah. So, so when my youth ministry wanted to do a big hype night, like to get a bunch, hundreds of kids to come to a night, they wanted to give away Jordans, right? Because kids, that's kid, like, let's give away a pair of J's, right? Yeah. We're going to go buy them. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go talk to the manager. Give them to us. Yeah. yeah. I know you guys. Here, pick a pair. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, just, it's just a favor of being in this space in serving your way into favor, serving your way into access to people who normally would brush a church off and say, we don't want to deal with you guys. Yeah. What, what a brilliant way to kind of have an in, to insert yourself into the, a microcosm of the community, the entire community. One place, one moment, mm -hmm. one, one spot, and you're touching people from all over the community in a community of its own. So I yeah. get it. I mean, y'all, all that leverage is amazing. Honestly, that's, that's amazing fun. leverage. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. So when you think about your church, so let's, let's play a little game here then just for the audience. Um, and, and I didn't throw this at you in advance, but I, I know you're faster than your feet going to adapt. Uh, <laughs> give me some one word descriptions of your church. So describe your church for me. It's culture in one words that are going to paint a picture for the people. So they know more about Rust City. Fun. Okay accepting uh intense 
<laughs> and if you, you know, they say a church follows its pastor. Yes. If you're going to get to know me, you're going to find out I don't like to not have a good, I like to have a good time. All right. If we're not having a good time, I'm not happy. Um, <laughs> I don't do well in the serious moments. I do well in the party moments. Um, I'm very accepting. And I know that word can be controversial in church. I know that's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What does he mean by accepting? Sure. I'm, I never saw Jesus bat an eye around sinners. No, yeah. of course not. Absolutely. I never saw Jesus get weird and uncomfortable. And so we get some interesting people that come to our church. We get some people that I go, I don't know if every church would accept these people. They might be allowed to come sit there, but they're not going to feel loved. Yeah. So when I say accepting, it's, it's like, I believe the only way your life is going to be freed is through the power of Christ transforming you from the inside out. Amen. I didn't grow up in church. I did not grow up a Christian. And so when I had a conversion at 18, it was a radical life conversion. It was, I didn't know. And I, I mean, I got saved in the early 2000 era where you had to go break your CDs at church Christ, at youth parties, right? Um, <laughs> right, yeah. I didn't understand it, but I did it because everyone said I had to, you know? And so th that's not what I grew up in. I grew up an athlete, party, have fun, life of everything. And dude, once my life fell apart and I was going down a path I didn't want to go down, I remembered I had a praying grandma who said, you can call on Jesus. Come on. I mean, that's just what it was. And I, I mean, I had a Saul to Paul in my experience transformation. Yeah. People didn't understand me after I became saved. That's why I'm celebrating Kanye so much. Because yeah. when he talks about how he's going, I just smile. I go, people can throw rocks at this all day. This can happen because it happened to me. You bet. I didn't, maybe didn't have the accolades and the money and the fame, but I had that experience of I went from this out-of-control person in one way to an out-of-control person in another way, but set free for Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I like to say like this. I, I used to party to forget my problems, my pain, my hurts. Now I party to remember how good God is in my life. <laughs> and so I just never stopped partying. Um, so we're fun. People are going to laugh and have a good time. We're going to take away the, the, the feeling of religion really quickly. And if you like that, you're not going to like us. Yeah. Um, we're going to be accepting and I'm going to let people come with a lot of mess. And anytime somebody complains about the mess, I just give them a little, little uh, thing of hand sanitizer and say, this is just to help clean you up afterwards. Cause it's going to be messy here. Yeah. And, and, and finally we're intense. Um, if you would, if anyone would ever take the time to watch me preach, you're going to find, I do not give a watered down gospel when I preach. I am not a five steps to just improve your life and get God in the middle of it. And yeah. I'm not hating on those people. I love those people. They have a place. Sure. But if you come listen to me, you're going to hear, pick up your cross, die to yourself and follow Christ. Amen. And what people are shocked at is how many young people come to our church. They're shocked that all these millennials flock in the hundreds to our campuses. And they would think that you have to do the opposite for that to happen. I think the stronger you preach the truth, the more people actually want that in their life. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and, and I think that gives people a, a real clear, challenging picture uh, of what church should be, what God intended it to be, and the catalyst, really, that God designed it to be for transformation in, in the world. Yeah. And that, that's awesome. That's awesome. So another question that I had as it relates to you, church, is how does stuff work? You know, so I know a lot of times pastors that are listening, you know, the thinking process, and they're always con contrasting, comparing. So how do you get stuff done? So you got this fun, uh, intense, dynamic environment that's so accepting, and that sounds wonderful. Yep. And you're obviously drawing an awful lot of young people. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some core systems that help you get some stuff done? So like 
you know, non-negotiables. This, we found this to be essential for us to make it happen here. Yeah, for me, it's very important that I continue to get myself out of the way. Most pastors, their biggest check on their growth of their church, in my opinion, is we can pinpoint somewhere where they refuse to get out of the way. And so here's what I mean by that. One time I was helping a friend of mine whose church was stuck, and it was stuck about 500 in attendance, and he was just trying to break that through. He's trying to get over that hump, right? And thank God it's been a few years he actually has done it. But in that moment, I'm at his church, and he says this to me, Doug, pay attention to everything you see, and nothing's a golden cow poke at it. All I did was watch him, because watching him showed me why the church was getting handicapped. Mm. People kept running to him because in that season of his ministry, he was Superman for his church. Of course, yes. And I find that more guys than the lead role in particular are so insecure that they need that affirmation constantly. Yeah. They need, even if they don't want, they'll never say it out loud. This will never come out of their mouth. But deep down somewhere in their heart, they need to be needed. Yes. Wow. And most churches stop growing, in my opinion, because the pastor gets so fixated in some area where they need to be needed and they don't delegate it to somebody who actually is more talented than they are in that field. No doubt. No doubt. Right? I totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, I think for all of us as leaders, the first thing we have to do to grow is get over ourselves. Yeah. How to get over it. You know. I know for me, every time we're in a situation where I, I'm typically the developer, I'm more the pioneer, the visionary. Hey, I want to tinker with something in the shop. I want to build it out. And then I immediately have to give it away. But in the process of giving it away, I really have to give it room to develop. And so part of our systems are how do we get me out of the room? <laughs> how do I build enough quality of people that I'm constantly replacing myself and it's not just in tongue in cheek. It's not just saying that for the cuteness of saying it. It's actually putting people that are more qualified than me in positions to dominate. Um, so our systems look like, how do we get Doug out of the system? How do we keep moving Doug out? And more times than not, because I'm a natural tinkerer, I'll never let something grow because I'll keep re-tinkering it and never give it the, you know, when you plant seed, a foolish farmer would wake up the next morning and expect to see a harvest. Right. Absolutely. I'm a foolish farmer when it's, when I'm still involved in something, yeah, I, I cannot stop tinkering with it and messing with it. It'll never grow. And I have to give it space. And so our way of doing business is let's identify. Normally it's me coming up with the direction of where I want to go, pulling some people in a room, dissecting it, creating it, and then really moving it off of me and then allowing me to only have a dashboard report on how it's working moving forward. I live and breathe off of our dashboard reports. I mean, I can tell you every campus based on, I, I'm shocked when I meet multi-site guys and I say, hey, just what are your metrics? What are your dashboards? What are the things that you say we have to measure? And they go, we haven't really developed that yet. I go, it's like you're flying a plane with no, no, no meters. You don't even know what's going on. You're just, you're looking at the sky, hoping it's working, you know? And I find it to be very dangerous. And so we heavily rely on our dashboard reports. So let's talk about that. Just drill down a little bit on the dashboard. Yeah. What, what kind of things are on that? And when, how often do you get them, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Our dashboard is weekly. It's in a cloud-based system that the numbers are updated automatically. And listen, for anyone who says, well, we don't have money for that. If you have a MacBook and the numbers program, it can collaborate. Yeah. So it will cost you no money to collaborate with your team. 
And we just create a very basic spreadsheet that our design team made that my campus pastors and their teams are responsible by Tuesday morning. So they have all day Monday to put in their metrics for our Tuesday morning meeting as the campus pastors and myself get together. I look at that report for about 15 minutes before we meet and I already can tell you who had a great weekend or a bad weekend based on uh, the obvious, our attendance and kids. I mean, come on, I mean, that's, that's yeah. a pretty obvious. The yeah. giving on there for their campus. Um, how many volunteers, here's some good ones. How many volunteers served? How many volunteers, we do a roll call. How many volunteers didn't come to church that weekend? Mm -hmm. So we know, hey, 12% of their volunteers didn't come, 20%, 40%. Yeah. Whoa, what happened here? Um, uh, we know how many youth, how many kids, those are so basic. We know, and so then we get into some deeper ones. We know how many people receive salvation because the way that we do it is when I, I give a salvation call every weekend, it's just part of our culture. And we do it with a stand up, hand up culture, stand you up. Here's salvation in Christ. Here's what the Bible says. If you want to start that journey, I'm going to count to three, raise your hand. One, two, three hands, keep your hands up. Volunteers are giving you a gift. We're going to give them some sort of resource. And our reason why is we want to help you go from a one-time decision to a lifetime disciple. And so we're going to give you this, but then we're also able to count how many of those went out. So now, and the other thing is they're leaving the service with this gift in their hands. My hospitality team is now watching as they're leaving and they become safeties in football. They become ball hawks for people with books. Yep to engage a conversation with them, to get them over to our hub or do it right on their phone and sign them up for their first 101, which we call starting point. And so the metrics from hand up, book, starting point, next, which is our membership class, all the way through is measurable by how many, we're counting next steps more than we even are caring so much about the attendance. Attendance is great to see, I don't think attendance should be looked on from week to week. I think that's like reading the stock market. It's going to make you really miserable really quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you need to look year to year to year. You need to say, okay, the second Tuesday of March, or sorry, second Sunday of March from last year to this year, hey, we're up 30 people. We're up 100 people. We're up whatever it is. Or we're down a few. Okay. You know, that I think is a little bit more of a year to date weekend to weekend versus weekend to weekend. More of a usable metric. Yeah, because you're going to drive yourself crazy going week to week. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I love the idea, too, that if those all those metrics are, uh, you know, are like if you have that collaboration thing going on where you see all the campuses, then yeah. you know, okay, we had so many people acknowledge the Lord and want to be saved, but how many we actually have make it to that first meeting and then progress through. So it's yeah. really a, it's kind of a holistic view of your impact in people's lives as opposed to how many people raise their hand Sunday, you know? Well, and that came from a place in our hearts when we were really exploding and I'm an old, I mean, just so people know me, I'm an old school Pentecostal preacher. Okay. That's my roots. All right. It is um, hellfire brimstone. Let's rock and roll, baby. Let's, let's swing from the chandeliers and blow a show far. I mean, let's, Let's do, if it ain't weird, it ain't God, okay? I mean, that's what I came from, all right? I mean, that's my roots. And if, and if, and if old Pentecostals can do anything, man, we can, give us, we can give an altar call, baby, okay? I'm a, Absolutely. I'm a reformed Pentecost. God has been doing things in me for over the years, right? And, um, but if we can do anything right, baby, we can give an altar call, okay? And um, I would look at the hands up, and we would count them, and in a year, 
we'd have, we'd have thousands of hands up, but yet we only grew about 200 people. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just stop and I'd say, something's not right here. So then we started monitoring the actual amount of people who were taking their next steps. And it started aligning with the growth of our church more. It started making more sense. Yeah. I think the best thing that every pastor can do is forget their Easter attendance, forget their weekend count, and focus on not how much fruit is on the tree, focus on the quality of the fruit when you taste it. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great, Pastor. Amen. What does it matter if you're at 500 or 800 or 200 or be faithful to where God's giving you? He will multiply it, but it's your job to keep biting the fruit and going, I think we're missing something. Let's go work on the roots a little bit more. It's yeah. good. Fantastic. And we're doing that right now. We're, we're revising what we feel is our discipleship journey. Because when I taste the fruit of somebody who's been in my church for two to three years, I think we're missing some things. Mm. Yeah. We've got great volunteers. They want to serve. They love God. They want to take on hell with a squirt gun, but they can't recite five scriptures to save your life. Yeah. yeah. They don't know how to pray for their kids in moments of desperation. And I'm realizing we're making a lot of followers. I mean, we're making, my bad. We're making a lot of fans, but maybe not as many followers of Christ. You know, that, yeah. that, that I, so we are revamping the way that we see discipleship needs to happen in our church to the point where we killed the model of small groups, which is so accustomed in so many churches that look like us. We saw all these signups and nobody would complete it and go ride a bike together is great. There's, there's places for that. But man, I, I just have this burden to make disciples and I'm not seeing it. We're not doing it like we should. So, that, that really, yeah, it resonates with me. I, I recently heard a part of an interview from a, one of the Iranian church leaders, you know, the fastest growing yeah. church in the world is in Iran yeah. and they can't build any churches, you know, and the guy was asking about the church and he said, well, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. He said, we're not building churches in Iran. We can't build it. He said, we're making disciples. Yeah. And he said, we quit measuring because they were asking about numbers. And he said, we quit measuring converts because we just found out it really had very little to do with anything. Wow. And he said, we started measuring disciples and oh, wow. that's what we're building. And wow. And it's the fastest growing big C church in the world is in that nation of Iran where they can't even, they wouldn't know a, you know, they wouldn't know a small group if it hit them in the head. They, they're, they they're all small. That. And so that's great stuff, man. Honestly, and I think it is very helpful to our audience. One thing that I would just throw in there for pastors, if they wanted to start really looking at some legitimate metrics, do this. Celebrate how many people volunteered on Sunday. Measure that. Yeah. Count how many volunteers you had. So let's say you had 2,000 people in church. whoop de doo I had 687 volunteers this Sunday. That's something to celebrate. You bet. You bet. And measure how many people in your church. So this is what we're working on right now. How many people in your church are taking at least one person through a discipleship journey? So we're trying to count how many people can we have taking two or three guys to coffee yep. mm -hmm. to do discipleship Yes. versus how many attendants. All, I, I just think that I, I feel like if guys would start measuring that, they would start seeing actual growth in their church versus what were the numbers this weekend. Thank you for listening to the Destiny Leaders Podcast. If this episode has inspired you in any way, we'd love for you to take a moment and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like a copy of today's show notes, visit destinyleaders.com forward slash show notes. Join us next time as we continue to develop the leaders. Oh, oh, oh.